saying goodbye for a bit, but I'll, I'll be Oz. <laughs> so our audio is up and our streaming is live and I'm admitting participants. Afternoon, Mayor Hoffman and Vice Mayor Kelman. The special finance committee meeting is being held pursuant to section three of executive order N-29-20 issued by Governor Newsom on March 17th, 2020. And this meeting is being held telephonically and is being streamed on the city's website. Uh, thank you very much. I will now call this special finance committee meeting to order. Um, this meeting, we have one item on our agenda, which is the fiscal year 2020, fiscal year 21, 22 budget. This is a mid-year, uh, not a mid-year, but the second year of a two-year budget evolution that we're looking at. Um, I expect that this will come back on our city council meeting on June 22nd with the possibility of a, a special city council meeting in between if necessary. And so at this point, um, uh, Charlie Francis, our interim finance director will provide the presentation. After the presentation, we will then take uh, public comment. So Mayor Hoffman, can I make a suggestion? Um, I know we, Fortunately, have two members of the council with us here as well, and I know we all want to get through a bunch of things today. Can we um, have a quick conversation about time management? Um, I don't want to um, take up all the time with the presentation. I want to make sure we get council members' questions answered. To, answered. Uh, I know I have a, a bunch of additional questions. Uh, we've seen a lot of presentations, so can we just um, have an idea about how we might want to manage the time, uh, or maybe just do a check-in, kind of uh, in the next 30 minutes? Yeah, when you say council member questions, because this is not this is not a city council meeting, this is a finance committee meeting. So we're talking about if, if you mean council member questions, you mean council member questions that were were brought up at the last city council meeting, correct? Correct. Yes, we went through and we transcribed all of the questions from the last city council meeting that were outstanding. Um, mm -hmm. We provided those to Charlie for his response, um, and I want to make sure that uh, we get through those uh, since those were outstanding from the prior meeting. Okay. Yeah, and to be clear for those people not on the city council who are on um because this is not a regularly city noticed or not a notice city council meeting uh due to brown act issue the other city council members will be observing but not weighing in with questions at this time so okay uh yeah so charlie what um how long do you think your presentation will take well, how long do you want it to take <laughs> <laughs> well you know uh, as long as you think is necessary, but I mean, this is notice for what two hours, or do we even bother noticing end time on these things anymore? Yeah, I can. I'll, I'll run through the presentation in ten to fifteen minutes, and then we can get into the. Okay, because you've got three things. Yeah, three things on the on the our agenda: our proposed budget review, the capital improvement plan update, and then proposed city manager amendments. Yep. And you think all. So number one on that, your proposed budget review will take, you think, 10 or 15 minutes? Yes. And then the capital improvement plan update will take how long? Uh, a little less because we don't have it already yet. Okay. And then the proposed city manager amendments? Five minutes. Five minutes. Okay, great. Okay. So then we'll take public comment after that, and then we'll, uh, or questions from the finance committee, and then, um, so we'll move at it. Does that sound good to you, Vice Mayor? Yes, thank you for that. Okay. Okay. Good. Thanks, you guys. All right, Charlie, go ahead. All right. Thank you, Mayor, Vice Mayor, yep. Finance Committee. It's our um, review number two. It's June 14th. And uh, we're 
at that step number 11 in our calendar. So we're moving quickly to having a, an adopted budget. What I would like to cover today is to start by giving you um, just an update on the American Rescue Plan. Then we'll move into uh, what are the impacts of the memorandum of understanding, some of the comments that came out of the last city council meeting. Uh, I'm gonna run through the city council questions that were submitted and thank you, Vice Mayor Kelman, for um, uh, consolidating all those and, and listing them out. Um, then I'll, I'll say, based on the American Rescue Plan, the MOU impact, some of the questions, what the revised budget looks like under the scenarios that it, it seemed like there was some kind of from the city council coming from the last city council has to balance the budget. Uh, we are prepared to go through a departmental review and in that departmental review, we can come back and look at the CIP. Uh, there's a section on professional services uh, agreements that are included within the budget. And then I just wanna briefly cover the GAN limit calculation and uh, position control. So that's kind of like the agenda I've laid out in the packet today. It's a little bit different than the uh, agenda, the presentation that was posted last night. And of course, uh, after the meeting, we'll have it reposted up to the Granica site. I just revised <coughs> it minutes before the meeting. Okay. Uh, so let's go into the American Rescue Plan. Well, uh, first of all, we got confirmation from the state that the amount that we'll be receiving is the 1,690,000, the amount that we did include in the budget. So uh, yes, you know, when we started off, we thought we were only gonna get 1.3 million. When I saw how the calculations were being done by US Treasury, I upped that amount to 1.69 million. And we got confirmation just a few days ago that that is indeed the amount that we're gonna get. This little graphic here on the right is our um, <clears throat> assurance that I um, filled out and submitted all the documents and forms to that um, so that we receive our allocation of $1.69 million. We haven't received yet when that will come, but I expect it will be within the next two weeks. Any questions on the American Rescue Plan? Nope, not for me. Nope, just great job. Great, thank you. Uh, then we have the um, uh, impacts of the memorandum of understanding, and I'd like to cover really quick what was negotiated. Uh, first, um, the Sausalito Police Association deferred their cost of living uh, allowance for a year. Uh, and um, I also want to point out that it was not part of the negotiated agreement, but the police chief did not fill one of the vacant police officer positions. So uh, that was an additional $125,000 uh, savings uh, than uh, what's listed here on this page. Now, what was negotiated with SEIU is that they, during the current fiscal year, they did receive their COLA increase, but they uh, took a 10% furlough decrease. And finally, management and confidential deferred their cost of living allowance, and they also took a 10% furlough. So the total of all of those savings uh, during the current fiscal year was $433,700. Now, the agreements that were reached uh, with the bargaining units uh, terminated. And so uh, with Sausalito Police Association, it restored their prior year COLA. Remember, it was deferred, not just waived. And then they also received their fiscal year 21-22 cost of living allowance. And with the compounding effect, that equaled a 6.09% increase. 
and that's $170,000 was added to the budget that um, <coughs> was presented to you last week. SEIU received their fiscal year 21-22 COLA and the 10% furlough was eliminated and the impact of that 2.5% is $60,000. Management and Confidential restored their prior year and they received their 21-22. 10% furlough was eliminated and their increase was another 160,000. So the total increase to the, uh, the budget that was submitted uh, last week was $390,000. The impact on the general fund was $360,000. There was an offset that was applied to the general fund, but it wasn't MOU related. So I'm going to pause now and ask if there's any questions on the MOUs. None for me. Okay. None for me. So the, the offset happened is that um, there was a substantial increase, and the mayor and vice mayor might remember that the uh, um, Bay City's Joint Powers Insurance Authority notified us at the very last minute that there was going to be an increase in our uh, premium for liability, workers' comp, <clears throat> and all the other insurances. Uh, we have the ability to use our, uh, our contingency fund, and I ask that the Bay City's Joint Powers Authority use that contingency fund so um, we have $140,000 to help offset that insurance premium and that uh, the two uh, impacts together then, the 390 increase minus the 140, uh, ended up being like a $220,000 difference. And I'll show that to you in a minute. Thank you again, uh, Vice Mayor Kalman, for uh, getting all, putting all those questions together from the previous meeting. Rather than list them out um, as they were chronologically received, I, I kind of regrouped them in terms of uh, uh, who asked uh, which questions. And so we'll start with the mayor. The mayor asked if our, all three scenarios deficit spending. And uh, yes, all three scenarios in the revised budget that you're looking at now are deficit spending. And I'm defining deficit spending as current year expenditures exceeding current year revenues. Now, that doesn't mean that we have deficit budgets because we, of course, we have prior year fund balances that can be uh, used to uh, offset the current year revenue expenditure deficit. So a balanced budget, by my definition, and by generally accepted accounting principles definition, is a budget that <clears throat> where revenues and and use of reserves exceeds or equals uh, projected expenditures. Second question uh, was about Measure O funding allocated for the general fund and a variety of uses. And there was a mistake in my uh, presentation I put up on the uh, uh, in Granicus on uh, Sunday night and uh, I used the word non-discretionary here I should have used the word discretionary and um, thanks for the eagle eyes of the city manager caught that for me the uh, measure O is a general tax and it is considered discretionary the proposed budget considers using measure O proceeds to balance the general fund operating budget so mayor did I uh, answer those questions that you had yeah, so, um, yeah, thanks very much. So, um, do you have in your scenarios that you're going to present, do you have a number associated with the deficit for each one of the three scenarios? Yes. Okay, so we're going to get to that? Yes. Okay, and then for the Measure O um, issue and the general fund, I, I don't know if, you, if you've delved into it this much, but was there language in the, in the measure that, even though it was general fund that that the 
the proceeds were going to be used for capital improvements? Was there any limiting language, even though that's not how the measure was presented, um, it, that would that would as a policy directive, you know, direct the money to CIPs instead of instead of just general fund? I haven't reviewed the official legal language of the okay. of text of the ballot measure. Okay. All right. No, I think one. Mayor, question. if I may. Yeah, I may add to that conversation. In one of your budget documents from 2016, I believe, the statement is made that Measure O uh, was passed by the voters to assist in uh, infrastructure. So okay. your budget document says that, even if it doesn't say that legally. Okay, so I think that uh, one thing that, that we would need to do if we pass, if we, you know, we vote to pass this budget, we would need to make a notation in there that we recognize that Measure O money in the past um, or measure O money is has been represented as a policy matter um, to work on infrastructure projects, but be, due to the pandemic and due to stress on our budget from the pandemic during this budget cycle, um, we're going to we're going to use that in our general fund in a way to balance our budget. So, uh, yeah. It may, I, so I did pull the language of, of measure O. Uh, section 3.06.180, use of proceeds. Mm -hmm. The proceeds from the transactions and use tax imposed by this ordinance shall be for general governmental purposes of the city and shall be received into the general fund of the city. Nothing herein shall bind the city to use the proceeds for any specific purpose or function. So, yeah, there's always, there's that, there's been that tension between the actual measure language and the intent, right? Or the intent of the city and city council at the time for the use of the measure on monies and the representations that were made to the people of Sausalito, right? So um, if we're gonna deviate from that at this point, then I think we need to note, note that in the budget and clearly understand that as a council, what we're voting on, right? And, and the, the representations that were made in the past to the people of Sausalito. So just to put a pin in that, um, we might wanna, is there any way at this point, Charlie, to figure out what that number is for Measure O? Oh, it's what one point, uh, right now I think it's like 1.2 million or 1.1. Based on what scenario we're budgeting in. Okay. Yeah, and I can add whereas language to the budget adoption resolution if the yeah, city attorney doesn't object. Okay, because I um, we would want to talk about that with the full city council, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks. All right. Let's move on to uh, Vice Mayor Kelman's questions. Um, the first question was MLK rents offsetting rents. Did I bake in rent forgiveness? And the answer is no, I did not. Um, under the current policy, all rent forgiveness ends at June 30. So I estimated, uh, you know, rents would come in, you know, as they're scheduled. Uh, second question was, what work is required to wrap heads around the budget? Exactly what you're doing, holding meetings, asking questions. Uh, I'm always available for one-on-one -on -one meetings uh, to, you know, dig down into the details. Have we ever used our reserves? Uh, yes. Uh, and we can quickly go to the OpenGov site, click on general fund revenues versus expenses, and you'll see in 2016 and 2020, our ex expenditures exceeded, our actual expenditures exceeded our actual revenues and uh, money, and the difference of course comes from reserves. Uh, and uh, we budgeted to use reserves in the current fiscal year. Uh, pensions are a complex subject. We've had a number of meetings on this, both at the Finance Committee and City Council level. Uh, but to kind of specifically answer the questions that were addressed are, what are planned assumptions for return on investment? 
Well, there's several. First of all, CalPERS sets a discount rate. That discount rate is set uh, in the current actuarial study, or the last actuarial study is, as 7%. Therefore, the assumption and the risk that the CalPERS is targets in investing their portfolio is a 7% expected ROI. But in the City of Sausalito Section 115 Pension Trust Fund, we are, uh, by City Council policy, invested in a moderately conservative index uh, strategy pooled account, and the five-year return has been 5.2% with that portfolio mix. Our current pension debt is about $33 million, and that's as of the last actuarial valuation. Uh, remember, the um, how much should we have in a pension trust fund? So in a Section 115 trust fund, uh, we could have whatever amount that is uh, the city council policy directs. Right now, the current uh, policy is to put 250000 aside annually into the uh, pension trust fund, Section 115 pension trust fund, and the annual required contribution in the OPEB pension trust fund. And then the last question was how to avoid debt and start preparing some of this down. Well, the unfunded liability debt is unavoidable. We have no control over the investments in CalPERS. And we have uh, you know, no control over setting the discount rate and all of the other assumptions. So how debt is created is when experience does not meet the assumption. And uh, so for an example, the last return uh, the CalPERS had on June 30 of 2020, I believe was was 4.95% or 5% around there. And the discount rate assumption is 7%. So therefore uh, the unfunded liability uh, increases. And then um, how, how can we start paying some of this down? Well, we continue or accelerate making payments to our section 115 pension trust fund. We can um, issue pension obligation bonds. We can, uh, use that other scenario, and I should have included it in this answer of paying off the police side fund, uh, we could uh, make additional discretionary payments to CalPERS if we uh, wanted to uh, not have local control over the investments and let them uh, have local control over the investments. Vice Mayor Hellman, uh, anything you want me to follow up on here? Yes, please. Thank you, Charlie, for, for taking the time to do this. Um, on the MLK question, and forgive me, some of my questions reference older slide numbers, because I know now we're on maybe version three here, um, but I was referencing um, slide number six, uh, pardon me, slide number 13 from your uh, last Tuesday's meeting. Um, I read that to show that MLK is operating at a loss. Is that accurate? And can you explain that? No, the MLK uh, operating revenues and expenses is operating at, at a gain. But well, what was on that prior slide was transferring 750000 out of the MLK fund and into the general fund to uh, pay off part of the advance between the two funds, the interfund advance between the general fund and the MLK fund. So operating revenues exceed operating expenses, but when you transfer uh, surplus monies back into the general fund, then it appears like it looks it is operating at a loss. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And what reporting would council members look at to understand that on its face without having to ask you that? Is there a treasurer's report or is there, um, is there anything we can do so that in the future we understand that at a glance? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, and this is something that could easily be done in the future. 
probably not within this budget document, but is to have break out what are revenues and what are transfers in for total resources and what are expenses and transfers out for total uses of funds. And then you look at sort, so right now you're looking at what I'm calling revenues are really all the sources, revenues and transfers in, and what I'm calling expenses in this document is really expenses and transfers out. So I could make that more clear in future documents for the council. Okay, I think that, that'd be quite helpful because to, to bullet two, what work is required, um, you know, I, I think I've got sort of four main goals here. I wanna know where does the money come from? Where does it go? Who's responsible for managing the expenditure? And then I wanna know how it affects our reserves. And so those are my four kind of points that I'm gonna try to keep coming back to. So then on the question then of reserves, um, I think I'm also trying to understand um, on slide six of your old uh, deck, you had said we need to replenish reserves, but then on slide 20, it showed zeros for use of reserves. So I'm trying to understand where are the reserves reported? Um, and I would also like to confirm uh, how much reserves do we have as of today? Okay. All right, now we'll move on to Council Member Cleveland Knowles. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pause you. Um, just uh, assure me that we're coming back to that question or where we can find it, because I think that is fundamental to everything you're going to discuss with us today. And I, I'm going to have to dog that one a little bit. These are the reserves that exist at the beginning of the year uh, that we're projecting to exist at June 30 of this year. So 7.6 in the general fund. Yes. Okay, so have we determined what the reserves are supposed to be by current policy and then if and how they will change under the three different budget scenarios? We can click through scenarios and see how the ending balance and what the use of, this column right here is how much of reserves we're using in each fund. So as I click through scenarios, this number will change and show you what how much reserves are being used. Okay, and, and you've referred us before to a reserve policy. Um, Mayor Hoffman, I think that we should have that policy come to the full council and we should review that in light of our current budget situation. So I just wanna flag that. Is, can I follow that up with Charlie? Is it, Are any of the three scenarios that we're presenting, uh, that you're presenting on uh, today, do they bring us below our policy, our reserve, our current reserve fund policy? No, they do not. Okay, and so I think one of the things I think we've talked about in the past is whether or not our current reserve fund policy is adequate and that we may want to increase our reserve fund policy, right? And so, or at least address it, right? And, and figure out if this is an adequate reserve fund policy. And so um, there are questions about whether or not this is adequate for a town of our size with the budget of our size and giving us the resiliency that we need. Um, going forward and the, you know, and the benefit of having a robust reserve fund. So, and the benefit that we've already seen, right? That we were able to get through hard times, several hard times since I've, <laughs> since I've been and lived in Sausalito. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we, I don't know, I don't know that we want to look at our reserve fund policy for this budget, Vice Mayor Kilman, but certainly in the next year, especially when we're ramping up for our next two year budget if we're even going to stay on a two-year budget schedule like um something that um 
Mr. Francis discussed at a previous meeting was whether or not, you know, we want to be more reactive and real time in our budget management on a quarterly basis, which I certainly think might be a good idea for us to think about. So, okay, Charlie. All right. Yeah, some of these questions are answered in the next, next slide. Uh, Councilmember Cleveland Knowles asked if we make adjustments that allow us to return to gradual returns, that would have less of an ending fund balance. And the short answer is yes. The, um, the, the gradual return scenario anticipates uh, using more, uh, having more expenses than we have revenues and therefore the, it would use more fund balance or reserves. But then she goes on to ask, is 6.4 million acceptable from a risk perspective? And uh, this is a qualitative answer that I'm giving here. In other words, it's uh, my opinion based on these four different risks that I see the city facing. The first risk that we face is revenue uncertainty. And I estimate that we should have $3.5 million in reserves to meet that revenue uncertainty. Uh, the next risk we, we face is infrastructure failure. And the $1 million is based on not only the amount of infrastructure failure risk we, we might see, but also on what is the likelihood or the probability of that uh, risk occurring. And so when you um, apply those different factors, I, I think a reserve of $1 million is, is adequate for that risk. And then you have extreme events, earthquakes, storms, tornadoes, uh, another million dollars based on probability and the amount of extent of damage that might be occurred. And then we have litigation expenditure spikes, and these are amounts that might exceed our uh, self-insurance premium. So that total is $6 million, and we're looking at a $6.4 million potential ending fund balance. Uh, based on one of the scenarios that the city council explored at their last meeting. And so uh, my qualitative answer uh, based on some, I mean, you know, quantitative measures is uh, yes, that is an acceptable amount of reserves based on a risk perspective. Um, if I could follow up on the, how we came up with the infrastructure failure and the extreme event failure and the litigation expenditure spikes, I mean, do you, do you know what we base those estimates on? Yeah, um, the Finance Committee received a document I prepared in 2013 on how I calculated uh, many of those risks, and uh, we have not revisited that um, risk-based analysis of general fund reserves, uh, but pretty much the, the, but I mean, in there is the methodology for calculating not only the uh, risk that we're facing, but the probability that we might be that that risk would occur. Okay. Uh, May, Mayor, if I may, can I jump in here? It's Chris. Uh -huh. um, you know, there there are different ways to um, figure a reserve policy and an amount, but it, there are some standard ones that I've been exposed to, like the Government Finance Officers Association has guidelines, uh, use rating agencies before to figure out what's an appropriate reserve level, but there are different ways to do it, and there are different amounts that cities have. So. Uh, Charlie saying that you have uh, $400,000 of cushion based on his analysis is, is solid, uh, but I think there are other ways to, to get that information so you can make a choice. Yeah, I think, um, you know, my feedback would be we probably need to revisit those risk factors. Um, you know, the, 
the um, you know revenue uncertainty is is one thing. I mean, we can tie that straight to you know volatility, you know, from the past um, review. But I feel like the infrastructure and extreme events, and all three of those, we probably need to revisit what the, the risk you know number is. Is that is as that is tied to um, our fund, right? Our um, our reserve fund. I, that, those just seem uh, low to me, especially based on some of the construction that we've had to do in the past year that has been quite costly. <laughs> so um, anyway, okay. So anyway, that's something else for us to highlight um, maybe at a future time to look at our at look at our reserve policy. So anyway, that makes me nervous when we when we talk about increasing our our spend in the reserve fund that I'm looking directly at you know, how we're defining our reserve policy. So, okay, that's my feedback on that aspect. Thank you. Okay. Next question was, um, did the city manager's proposed budget that also came out of the finance committee recommend in-house financial services? So the city manager's budget presented at the last city council meeting did recommend in-house financial services. It did so in order to balance the budget. Um, the city manager's budget, though, did not come out of the finance committee. The city manager's proposed budget was a staff-presented budget, first prepared by um, department heads and then reviewed by the city manager and then recommended to the city council. Uh, the difference between in-house and outsourced, is it about $720,000? And the answer is uh, yes, it is. Mayor and Vice Mayor, take a look at this. They're walking in my front yard right now. What was that? It's very small because you're staring. Oh, they're t big turkeys. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's so cute living out here. Um, anyway, sorry for that interruption. I'm just going to text my wife. Giant turkeys in front yard. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we what have big turkeys out here, too. Could show you come visit <laughs> what what is the delta between post-covid and gradual return uh, is it close to seven hundred twenty thousand? And, and the answer uh, is no the delta between uh, going to gradual return on on all departments and gradual return on revenues is 1.7 million dollars and then the question was on the options. Cannot pursue options one, two, and three. Uh, basically, I think the question was, can we do option number one and two at the same time? And the answer is no. We can either do options one and three, or we can do options two and three. In other words, if you in issue pension obligation bonds, that would include paying off the amortization basis that I'm, number two is. So it's Number one and two weren't cumulative. They were actually a choice, either or. So Charlie, on that topic of amortization, um, what are the expenses in the OPEB and pension trusts? And not just um, the type of expenses, but do you have a sense of the numerical value? Well, there's no expenses other than investment management fees in the OPEB and pension trust fund. It's just cities setting aside money into those trust funds. And if I read your, your first slide uh, in response to Mayor Hoffman's questions, um, the rate of return for CalPERS is in a projected 7%, which was 
um, a long time ago, um, we're looking at a 5.2%. So does that mean we have a built-in loss uh, with CalPERS now? No, no. Our Section 115 trust fund is totally separate from CalPERS. So we put aside extra money into a Section 115 trust fund, and by council policy, we invested at a target, the conservative target of 5%. That's just our investment policy for our set-aside money. It, the, when that policy was set, they did not try to exceed the CalPERS return because then you would have to invest in a riskier portfolio. And a riskier portfolio suffers greater losses in years where you don't meet that expectation. When you put money into CalPERS, you're always assuming that CalPERS is going to have a risk profile in their portfolio mix that will generate a 7% rate of return, which is riskier than if you're investing to only get a 5% return. So in years where you meet it, uh, our trust fund would only get perhaps 5% or better. CalPERS will exceed and get their 7%. But when, Cal when in years where the investment returns are not very good, we lose less. Or, if at all, than what CalPERS would lose. All right, let me let me pause and reframe and split off my questions. On slide 10, I thought you wrote CalPERS and rate of return. So maybe it was, you talked about pension on one of these. There you go. There you go. CalPERS 7% uh, discount rate. Okay. So let's just take that separately. So traditionally, CalPERS was expecting 7%, but not. Prior to 2018, we were prior to our 115 trust, we were operating at a loss, which is why we have a $33 million budget. Uh, no, we were not operating. Prior, over the past 10 years, since 2008 or nine, CalPERS has not, this rate used to be seven and a half percent. One time, I think it might've even been seven and three quarters, but they weren't earning that. And then when the recession hit in 2009, the stock market plummeted, Kelper's return was minus. And that's what caused the unfunded liability. Nothing that Sausalito did. Right, I, I'm not saying it's Sausalito's fault. I'm just trying to lay the groundwork for um, the disparity between what we're able to do and what CalPERS expected. And so let's move on then to the 115. Um, I thought there was a policy that came out of the 2018 council that talked about contributions to the pension trust. Um, can you tell us how much is in that pension trust? And are we on target for how much we expected to have there? So I, I don't know what the policy was in 2018. I can tell you that what we expect to have in the pension trust fund, uh, oops, in, uh, let's go to a different slide is 2.5 we will have by June 30 and 1.7 in the OPEB trust fund. Our policy looks to put in 310,000 and 260,000 during next year. We'll have some expenses giving us $2 million in OPEB and two and three quarter million in the pension trust fund. This is totally separate from CalPERS. Under, understood. And the reason that I'm asking is not to poke holes in anything that has happened to date, but to merely raise the question 
to make sure that we are able, able under current and future budgeting to make the contributions as anticipated so that we don't fall behind. And so I was merely using 2018 as an example to see whether we had in fact been able to meet that. And I think we are behind. Um, and I just wanna flag that as for the council to consider as we move forward in any new type of plan. So I'm not trying to poke holes on anything here. I just wanna flag it as a concern to be evaluated as part of the risk portfolio. Um, I have a question on, uh, on. Sorry, I need to this. Okay, I'm sorry. So, sorry. No, I do have a question on that. Sorry, go ahead. If you go back on. <laughs> um, okay. Is this so? Going back to the out uh, in-house and outsourced financed department. And so to be clear, yeah, this is your, this would be outsourced to your company and you would be staffing this, correct? Okay. Okay. So on the question, is this the difference between in-house and outsourced? Okay. Is about $720,000. So $720,000, what does that number mean? Is that, is that the difference between if we hired, if we had a fully functioning finance department um, with whatever a number of employees, that we should have in the finance department that we don't currently have, right? Well, the difference is, is that you would, in the budgets anticipating not having an assistant city manager, tre director, treasurer, uh -huh. and not having a finance manager, director position, and not using the uh, cadre of consultants that was in the, the previous year's budgets, and mm -hmm. but having this contract and the resulting savings from not having these positions and consultants is 600,000. So the okay. difference is 750,000 increase. Okay. So that's what you're okay. getting for this is 6,000 hours worth of work to rebuild the finance department back to uh, a state where it's credible and can be trustworthy by you and the community and by management. Yeah. And mayor, if I may, uh, Charlie, can you talk about the additional staff besides the 6,000 hours? you would need that are here today? Of course. So the, uh, there'd be two senior accounting technicians, one senior accountant, and one retired annuitant for half of the year. So that's a $1.35 million contract with the- uh, With another full four. So it, the total is closer to 1.75, 1.8. For the, the total finance department operations, yes. Yeah, okay, thank you. Okay, so then I'm, so I'm not, so to be clear, you're replacing some of these workers with workers from no. your firm or? I'm not replacing any of these. I'm okay. only replacing the um, finance, the assistant city manager position and the unfilled but authorized finance manager position, okay. as well as replacing the use of some consultants. Okay. Okay, gotcha. All right, so I think I understand. Charlie, I guess I'm a little, um, not lost, I guess $750,000 um, to fix something, use the word credible. Can you give us a little bit more context? I mean, that's just so much money. Um, 
I'm, I just I need a little bit more understanding. Yeah, the uh, earlier I compared um, to like rebuilding a house whose foundation is damaged. And uh, right now the um, we have business processes, we have antiquated software, there's been a turnover in staff. Uh, there are transactions that are occurring in the bank that aren't being recorded in the system of record. There are transactions in the system of records that aren't flowing through bank statements. Uh, the bulk entries are being made to uh, accounts and not being distributed to the proper uh, allocation. In other words, um, timely and accurate financial reports are uh, can't be produced. And, and, as it existed when um, when I took over. So to rebuild the business processes, to put in the technology, to um, reconcile accounts. Uh, the last clean reconciliation that uh, we could validate was November of 2019. We are now caught up through April and uh, uh, almost finished with May of the current fiscal year. So, uh, but that doesn't include the other balance sheet accounts, our accounts receivable. Uh, our accounts payable accounts. So all of those balance sheet accounts have to be restored and reconciled. Uh, and the audit starts the first week of July. So uh, we have uh, interim audit work that's occurring right now to get the books ready to be audited. So um, just a lot of work from the foundation up. Charlie, when we received the CAFR presentation, um, the consultant also issued a deficiency report. Yes with us that there were a number of deficiencies uh, you mentioned some of them failure to reconcile the bank accounts um, accounts receivable were off failure to pay um, some monies that were due uh, how far back uh, are these deficiencies and as I, as I mentioned November 2019 one of the biggest deficiencies is in payroll reporting you know we we have a bi-weekly payroll and the and of course when the payroll goes out, this outsourced payroll company that uh, uh, we moved to around November 2019 sends us reports that don't equal what the withdrawal from the checking account is. So reconciling those has become a, a, a major effort uh, and just getting them to provide us the information we need to uh, reconcile the books. So Charlie, as we think about whether or not we can come to terms with this additional spend, um, let me ask you this. One of the things that you, you did so well and so quickly when you first joined us was uh, you, you looked at the COPS money, the certificates of participation that was still sitting in the bank um, and had not yet been reconciled uh, and long overdue for a reconciliation. And one of the questions that, that came up was if the money was still sitting in the bank and we spent over $7 million on the parks, how did we pay for them? Where did that money come from? What are some business processes that you could recommend, just to give it an example of, of what the improvement would look like, to allow us to see how did we pay for this, where did the money come from, how do we track the funds transfers, and how can we as a council be sure that monies aren't being transferred between funds without some type of reconciliation? What, what business process would you bring to the table to remedy that moving forward? Well, first and foremost, it's transparency. Transparency in everything we're doing. Uh, and with transparency comes accountability. You can't have one without the other. Uh, and, and so the business process of what the finance committee's a function would be in monitoring the budget would be to, on a 
monthly basis to look at uh, funds flowing in, funds flowing out, uh, communicating that through our transparency portal through the community, uh, and um, and then uh, having the staff, staff with institutional knowledge and the business processes in place so that when funds are expended that can be uh, reimbursed either from certificates of participation or the sewer revenue bonds, or let's say uh, even from grants that we've uh, been awarded, that when the expenditure occurs, we are immediately uh, asking for reimbursement for those funds. Uh, it's just a, 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 the ability to have you know, built-in tickler files in technology that says when this trigger occurs, this is follow-up event needs to happen. And then we're being able to report on it as well. Yeah, I just wanna make sure that whatever we do, we put the safeguards in place so that this doesn't happen again, right? And Absolutely, yeah. I mean, payroll wasn't even being posted into the general ledger. It was just being batched three months at a time. So you can't reconcile a bank statement if you don't have any entries posted in the books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I mean, like, because it's so hard, I think, to find you know, where are the transfers between funds? How how do we as a council track those? Um, and I think we're we're open to understanding. You know, where do we yeah. find? Yeah, you can actually see and um, and uh, here you go. Here's a schedule of transfers in and out between the funds in each one of the scenarios, so that um, you know you're able to see which where the money's coming in from and where it's going out to. This should just be part of your regular. Um, financial reporting process. So I noticed you're using Microsoft BI, but we use OpenGov, and uh, some of the things in your presentation from last Tuesday, some of the nomenclature was inconsistent with what we saw or see in OpenGov. So it was a little bit hard for me to go back and track. Um, is there a reason for that? Well, you'd have to give me specific examples, but. Um, I, I noticed you had an engineering uh, fund, and I've never seen that before. Where do you see an engineering fund? Uh, it was, <laughs> I'll, I'll find the slide there's number from your old. There's an engineering department. And, pardon me, engineering department, yes, correct. Is, yeah, that's one of our departments in the city. Hmm. Is this under DPW? Yeah. Let's, you want to go to open, let's see here. DPW engineering. Okay, so nomenclature wise, you're referring to DPW as engineering. Okay, so it's just, that's all. Just basic uh, standardization just got a little confusing there. Okay, so, yeah, so is, <clears throat> is it D, DPW slash engineering or is there another department under DPW that's engineering? There is. Uh, okay. Public works. Okay. Is that synonymous? Do we, when I say, when people refer to public works, is that engineering? All right, let's Sorry, go. I just... <laughs> well, I think this gets to the larger question of making sure the council understands all the budget allocations per department, right? And who is responsible for the expenditures and who's accountable at the end of the year uh, on yeah. per department basis. Yeah. So there's two divisions of what we call DPW. 
There's mm -hmm. DPW Engineering, and then there's DPW uh, Public Works. Do they have separate budgets? Yes. And they always, have, always have. Yeah. One department head. Um, the department, the the Public Works director. Just like the community development director is the department head over building and planning. Sure, makes sense. Okay. Can I ask one more question, sorry, about the work that Charlie's proposing his uh, consulting would do? Um, so I understand business processes, antiquated software, lack of reconciliations. Um, we have a fair amount of, um, you know, sort of debt obligations. And so one of the things that I wondered is why is the geo, why are the um, general obligation bonds, why is the geo bonds fund carrying more money than appears to be necessary to make the next payment? It's just a pass through. Great um, question. Yeah. yeah. So how that, how that uh, works is that, um, is that every year we put on the property tax bill an amount equal to um, to pay off the debt service. For example, here we're budgeting 650,000 and the debt service is 663,000. Now, you can see we have a beginning fund balance of 1,030,000. I did just a little bit of research on how that occurred. And what I believe happened between after 2015 and when I took over is that somebody in the city didn't realize that the amounts of money going into the Bank of New York were a function of uh, being put on the property tax roll and, and that money getting sent over. And two payments were made. So, uh, and right now it's sitting in that fund. So we could, and what I'm proposing to do here is assess less on the property tax bill than what we need over the remaining life of the general obligation bonds, slowly reducing this amount of money. If, you took, if we said, you know what, we're not, we have so much in here, we'll just um, use it all and not put anything on the property tax bill. What would happen is immediate property tax relief, but for one year. And then the next year, it would pop back up on the property tax bill and a taxpayer might say, oh, what are you doing? You're taxing us again. So, you know, what I'm recommending is the policy of slowly reducing this over the amortization period of the um, general obligation bonds. The other reason you have a reserve at all in here is because of the timing of when we receive the property tax payment and when the first property tax bill is due. So the amount of, a minimum amount of reserve should be in here is always one half of this amount over here. Actually, it's a little bit more because principal and interest are due uh, in August and the first teeter payment doesn't come in until December. So you probably you know, want two thirds of this amount as reserve uh, as your beginning balance at any point in time. That makes sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And I know I'm, I'm pursuing a couple of different rabbit holes, but what I'm trying to do is pull out the complexity of what you inherited and um the, the just to give everybody a sense of what was missing I, I guess um and i want us all to be on the same page around that thank you yeah thank you for that all right should we yes maybe we finished council member cleveland knowles and mayor i'm sorry i'm exceeding my 10 minutes my fault. <laughs> i take that i take it okay um council member Blaustein, um 
said, asked if do each of the scenarios include an end to the 10% furlough of staff? And the answer is yes. I'm so glad that she asked that question and I'm especially glad that the SEIU representative uh, reminded me that the COLAs are in place for next year because I certainly wouldn't want a, the city council to have adopted a budget that did not include what we agreed to with our labor unit. So I wholeheartedly admit that I, I misunderstood what our MOUs uh, were. I should have read them and I should have presented a budget to you that included those MOU incre increases. So um, it's a good question, led to a good result. We're, we're more sure of the numbers that we're adopting now. Second question is, is grant assistance our best option to fix negative disaster assistance? So we have a fund called the Disaster Assistance Fund. On paper, it has a minus $241,000 balance. Now, as you know uh, from your own personal checkbooks, you cannot have a negative bank balance. You know, the bank balance is gonna foreclose on you or you know sue you for the difference. What we have is where you know, exactly what Council Member Kalman, or Vice Mayor Kalman, said before is that you know when we're spending the certificate when we weren't withdrawing the money from the certificates of participation some other fund was paying for it and uh, usually what happens what the best financial practice is is at the end of the year as we're getting ready for the audit we eliminate negative fund balances and other firms by by the fund that actually incurred the the cash flow so i'm recommending at the end of this year that we would just zero out the disaster assistance fund. Now, once it's zeroed out, how do we start building it up again? And that's where, after we get through this transitional year and we revisit our reserve policies, uh, we look at, you know, how, how can we become resilient? <coughs> uh, then we'll start building that uh, uh, disaster assistance fund back up to whatever level the city council thinks is appropriate. Now, one way to do that would be to aggressively look for grants to help with some uh, of our capital outlay expenditures that we have. And so a grant management, a grant uh, writing program is something that could have a lot of benefit for the city and helping rebuild <coughs> our Council member Blaustein's last question is kind of a difficult question to answer. Uh, wouldn't we run out of reserves in less than two years if we continue on our current path? You know, short answer is yes. If we continue deficit spending for two years, in three years, a $6 million balance would be gone. But we have to look at what is our operating revenues and what are our operating expenditures. Let me give you a real example of what we were just talking about. I fully expect that the outsourced financial accounting is a one-year um, increase in spending. And we're balancing that increase in spending with a one-year, one-time revenue, American Rescue Plan. Uh, so, you know, the, the structural balance might align itself uh, because if, because future either outsourced financial management or in-house financial management would probably be close to the amount of what a finance director would cost and what a finance manager would cost. So, um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done during the year to make sure operating expenditures don't exceed operating revenues. Uh, and we want to minimize our use of one-time revenues for anything other than one-time expenses. That's right, Kessa. 
quick question on follow-up on the um, operating revenues. I thought I saw in the prior deck that we're projecting tax revenues will be $900,000 below fiscal year 19. Um, assuming property taxes continue to rise, is that all a TOT loss? TOT, uh, parking, and sales tax, yes. Well, sales tax was up 6%, so it must just be TOT and parking? Well, not in the three scenarios. In the, in the three scenarios, we still have a COVID scenario, a gradual return scenario, and a return to our pre-2019. Got it. Okay, thank you. Uh, and Councilmember Sobieski uh, talked about the options. Again, when we're looking at the options, we were looking at the uh, 750,000, 400,000. We were looking at these three. I've added a couple more since then. Um, and they said, do our other options give us 1.4 million in extra and wipe out the deficit? And the answer uh, is no, because remember options one and two were, were choices. You either get um, options one and three, or you get two and three, and the difference between those is either 0.7 million or 1.05 million. And then Councilmember Sobieski asked us to speak about the risks of other options, and the, the primary risk on pension obligation bonds is that um, you, you borrow money, and the, the concept is to invest it at pro, to get a rate of return higher than what you're borrowing. And the risk is you don't earn, earn the targeted investment return. Whether you're doing that yourself by having local control and putting the, the proceeds into a Section 115 trust fund, uh, you incur even more risk by borrowing the money and putting it into the CalPERS trust, into CalPERS as an additional discretionary payment because their risk profile is they're going to be investing that money at 7% when, you know, most people in the equity markets think the new normal is about a 5% rate of return. The risk on the police side fund is none. We're just using our um, money that, that's been set aside already in our Section 115 pension trust fund, and we're eliminating one of the amortization bases in our safety pension fund uh, with Kelpers. And um, at that point, it's gone. It, it's that amortization base is gone. It can't increase in the future. It can't decrease. It can't all of a sudden come back like other CalPERS uh, amortization bases. In this case, it's gone and we uh, realized a 400 and about a $400,000 savings annually uh, that we would have incurred for the next three years, uh, but it eliminates it permanently. And the risk on the OPEV obligation is putting an asset in kind contribution. There's no risk. We have total control over the asset that's in the Section 115 Trust Fund. Um, there's always a risk that rental management of the facility, uh, but that's that would be a council policy and management uh, implementation issue uh, of, of collecting rents, or it could be a function of the market. Uh, there's no market for you know a facility attracting tenants anymore. So uh, other than market risk, there's no risk I'm doing. Uh, Charlie, before you leave these uh, options, can you explain to the committee and the community uh, what's in the 115 trust and what would be left if they went with either of these options? Yep. So, uh, absolutely. The uh, what's in the 
pension trust fund right now, we expect to end the year at $2.5 million. We expect to end next year at $2.7 million. But if we took the $1.2 million out uh, to pay that police safety fund, we'd still have $1.5 million in our pension trust fund. Thank you. Charlie, just if you know, just to follow up on Councilor Sobieski's questions about leases and things like that, does the city have have any type of policy or ordinance requiring a, a bidding process for all leases of public property over some set duration or dollar amount? Mm. And and if you don't know that, that's fine. Let's pick it up another point. I don't point. believe we yeah. do. Yeah. I okay. think that historically the. Uh, the methodology for renting out facilities has been a function of a recommendation from OMIT to the full city council. Okay. Maybe we'll flag that and talk about under business processes uh, at a later, later date. So uh, council member Sobieski went on to ask how do these fit options fit into the budget and they were not included in the recommended budget, but the city council of course could direct staff to pursue those and to put them into the budget as a budget balancing measure. Which is a kind of a follow-up is anticipation of changing budget numbers built into the process. And the answer is yes. Uh, the Finance Committee today could make a recommendation to the City Council uh, at their next meeting uh, that, um, and the City Council at their next meeting could say we want to adopt a budget uh, that has different numbers than were recommended at the last City Council meeting. And then what is the first check-in and self-assessment point? And the answer is, you know, monthly. Uh, we're gonna be preparing monthly budget to actual statements. We're gonna be, have, you know, putting things in our transparency portal. We'll have uh, business processes and reporting mechanisms in place so that the council is always fully informed of, you know, what our actual performance is versus our planned performance. If revenues exceed forecast, should budget be an item to tweak the forecast? Uh, and the answer is uh, yes. I mean, we should always be looking and have uh, scenario plans in our pocket that says if these trigger events occur, we could consider increasing levels of service or changing levels of service, deploying staff in a different manner or acquiring human or technological and other resources in order to deliver services effectively, efficiently, and strategically. And uh, is the 1.2 million deficit scenario hypothetical? And it, yes, it was hypothetical based on the assumptions and the uh, options that I clicked on. So that concluded uh, council member uh, questions. Um, as a result of some of the, the insights gained from the questions, as a result of the MOU analysis, as a result of the American Rescue Plan, as a result of that insurance uh, a contingency fund that we have available through Bay City's Joint Powers and Authority. And based on these scenarios that I somewhat heard was a consensus of, of having the building department and the planning department uh, at a gradual return scenario, the library gradually returning and the recreation kind of returning. And um, it makes sense for recreation to occur because we're assuming a gradual return of revenues. The gradual return of revenues includes additional revenues from uh, a gradually returned recreation department. So they kind of go hand in hand and somewhat 
you know, offset each other. If we're going to anticipate these revenues, we have to incur uh, and put on the events that the community expects and wants in order to get those additional revenues. So with that scenario outlined uh, and all the other opportunities, the new uh, revenues versus expenses and the change in fund balance is ex uh, expenses exceed our revenues in the general fund by $1.4 million and it would leave us with a general fund balance of $6.2 million. Charlie, is there a place where you're gonna take us through, let's say on recreation, the anticipated net revenues um, from that that contribute to the overall revenue number? I have a chart on that. Uh, I can get it to be more precise and um, if, uh, our recreation director is on the committee meeting. Uh, he could also add flavor to that as well. Uh, so the other options that we have are the three that we covered before, you know, with the pension obligation bonds, Section 115 Trust and OPEB. There, of course, the city always has the opportunity to monetize some of its other assets. For example, city-owned right-of-way, fire station number one, and other properties that we own. Uh, within our boundaries. And then, um, as I mentioned earlier on the MOU, uh, the police currently have frozen uh, one vacant position that they have. And um, they have just notified that uh, they're gonna be having another vacant position. And the chief has indicated that he could hold those two positions open for the year. Even if he went to fill them, the, the process of filling a vacant police officer position is pretty lengthy. So uh, we can actually, you know, kind of expect and put into the budget a $250,000 savings from freezing two vacant positions. Charlie, just a quick question on the police budget, because I know two of the council members had, had questions. Um, in your, in, from last week, slide 27, um, it showed the police had a 27% increase over fiscal year 19. Um, and then there was almost 10% increase per year. Why, why such a high increase uh, on an annual basis. And um, I guess as part of that, as an example, it looked like the police department spent $650,000 on vehicles uh, just this last quarter. Um, can you run us through some of those expenses or the offsets now with these two frozen positions? And if you can't right now, that's totally fine. Um, but I think it would be helpful to, in light of the conversation we had had. Yeah. I have no idea where the thought of $650,000 for vehicles came from, but um, uh, our whole inventory for the whole city, I don't think is 650,000 for vehicles. So I, I'd have to go uh, look at that. But the, um, you know, when we compare year over year increase in the, this chart here, we're looking at, uh, let me see, and another chart in the department chart this over this. This was the budget. It's not what we actually expect to uh, spend this year. Right? The actual amount that we're expecting to spend is going to be quite a bit less because we have a vacant position and there was you know, other savings in some of these other departments. Um, the increase of the budget amount from this one over this is mostly a function of the unfunded liability that is uh, amortization payment that's being, uh, that's being charged this next year.
So um, those are budget balancing options uh, that the city uh, might have. Um, without going through all of the individual departments, uh, there's a question about professional services in the contract. These are the new professional services that exist, the 325,000 for economic development activity, these one-time planning studies, and then the 1.3 million for the uh, outsourced financial management, uh, which we already went into detail of. I have available in here a list of all of the professional services for all of the different uh, departments. Uh, but these are the professional service lists that have existed year after year after year, and there's nothing, uh, you know, Harley, super busy. What's the difference here. between a professional service um, services versus a contractor? Yeah, that, that would be budgeted and contracted services. I mean, we can provide those line items as well. I mean, are they two different things? So, um, like, is Kenneth Henry a contractor or a professional service from CSG? Is Ide Bailey a professional service or a contractor? Ide Bailey is budgeted under professional services. So, here's where they're budgeted if we go with in house financial services, and here they're not budgeted because they're part of this contract up here. Uh, in terms of um, Kenneth, contract building official. Uh, in this case, it is budgeted within professional services. So what is the difference that we should be aware of as the council in terms of the budget? Are they the same? Uh, they not be, the same? There's not a lot of discipline that's been applied on what line item in the budget something should be uh, charged to. You know, basically you have categories of expenditures. You have personnel costs, you have uh, professional services that have all different kinds of line items. Then you have supplies, and then you have equipment and debt service. So um, discipline on the what account number gets applied to each invoice is something that has not been strictly enforced within the accounting system. Should it be? Yes. <laughs> And uh, that, oh, a couple other things I wanted to point out is I uh, preliminarily, uh, you have to adopt three resolutions when you adopt the budget. The first one you have to adopt is the um, budget resolution itself. And as I mentioned earlier, we can add, there's a bunch of whereas clauses. One of those whereas clauses we could add as, um, you know, our intent on using measure O monies. Uh, the second resolution it passed um, by California law is called the GAN limit res, uh, calculation. What is our appropriation spending limit, our Prop 4 GAN limit? And so this is an example of going through the calculation. According to the Department of Finance, we lost a few people as population, but our cost of living increase has gone up. So our portion, our adjustment factor is calculated at 1.0525. We multiply that by the uh, appropriation limit that the city council adopted last year in passing its budget and that gives us a fiscal year 21-22 apportionment limit. Now what we do from that is we subtract from the apportionment limit our current proceeds of taxes to make see how much over or under the appropriation limit we are and our calculation is would be 4.76 million under our appropriation limit and therefore uh, you know, would not be subject to reimbursing uh, any taxpayer money. And finally, we would go through uh, a 
position control roster and set salary tables and schedules. And uh, right now, this our full-time authorized positions would be 75 uh, under the current scenarios that I've outlined here of that reflect this scenario of gradual return versus post-COVID uh, staffing levels. But at this point, if the, you know, we're prepared to say, you know, we're prepared at any time for the city council to uh, say we would like to look at, um, you know, a scenario where everything is pre-COVID level. In other words, what would our revenues versus expenses be if we the economy snapped back, we got all the revenues we're entitled to, and we went back to the staffing levels that we had prior to uh, uh, COVID, then we would use 2.2 million in reserves and our, our balance would be five. If we turned everything to the gradual return level, our difference would be 1.9 million, and we, which means we would bring our reserves from 7.6 to 5.7. We budgeted everything at the post-COVID level. We're still at 1.5 because we don't have enough revenues to cover all of that. So the one of the scenarios was to outsource financial management, improve building, keep engineering, transfers out, landscape maintenance the same, gradually return library, done department, parking, planning, gradually return police, public works, recreation, revenues. And here's the scenario that seemed to be somewhat of a consensus amongst the city council at the last council meeting. That kind of concludes the presentation except for the capital projects. We're still trying to balance the capital projects and um, I was Hoping to uh, have it ready today. Uh, public director's out sick today, and so wasn't able to finish. But let me come back to the summary here real quick. Summary shows under the initial ceremony that we have capital projects of 5.7. We have a 1.7 carryover coming over from last fiscal year, and we would be transferring into the capital projects fund 3.9 million. That 3.9 million would be coming from uh, uh, special revenue funds and grants. So 2.5 million for the ferry landing and uh, transfers in would just about uh, give us an even budget. So you're probably interested in what capital projects. Now, what we've identified and we haven't put in here yet was that one of the capital projects listed is a grant reimbursable. So we need to put in another $900,000 uh, in um, revenues, which means we would have a surplus in our capital project fund and could consider doing another capital project capital project that in there is the Bridgeway bike lane project, the Bridgeway Woodward slide repair, a Coloma crosswalk, a continued work on Gumphy Park, the ferry terminal, and it's gate six signal modification. This is the one that has the grant that we uh, need to uh, consider to bring in there. 
and then the 90,000 slide repair. 35,000 for storm drain repairs. And then there's the Dumphy Park Stockpile Project. So that would be the list of capital projects. Oh, the Southview Park Walls. So there's a way I can make this look, uh, so it would get rid of all the zeros and provide that list for you in a future document. And Charlie, these are funded in the current budget? Yes. So that concludes um, my 10 to 15 minutes to have presentation. <laughs> Charlie, can I ask a question that has not been covered, which we promised to cover, um, is the business license tax. Uh, at the beginning of the year, or actually in December, we made some adjustments. We had a brief conversation. Are you able at all to show us where that plays into our revenue? Have you, have you looked at that at all? I've talked to HDL about it, and um, from my understanding, the the council uh, had a grace period in payment of the business license tax, but the grace period ends, and in June, I think it was May or June, they need to start uh, paying it off. And so we anticipate uh, that we will be receiving, um, during the current fiscal year, Gross receipts, 1.2 million and HDL projects. Oh, that's what was budgeted. I think we're gonna get a little bit more than that. And then next year, HDL recommends that we budget 1.56 million. Okay, so there's been some suggestions around revising that policy. Um, if you're not prepared to weigh in on that, that is fine. But if you have something, I welcome your thoughts. Uh, I have. I've not visited what the policy and revenue generation is in the business licenses, but it's certainly something that would have to be done by council ordinance. Yes, great. Okay. Thank you. Some thoughts on that, but I'll I'll refrain until after public comment on how to on how to address that, how we might want to address that in the future. So on a couple of things. So. All right, um, so Charlie, that does that conclude your proposed number one and two on the budget, B1 and B2, which is, I'm sorry, B2, <laughs> B11 and B12, which is proposed budget review and capital improvement plan update? Correct, yes. Okay, and then our city manager, uh, Chris Zapata, you had some proposed city manager amendments? I do, Mayor, uh, just real quick, five minutes, I said. Uh, first of all, I appreciate the work Charlie and the team has done. Um, and moreover, I appreciate the public comments that came in for this finance committee meeting. Uh, they were significant. Um, and so in hearing from some of the community members and also talking to some of you and staff, uh, one of the things that I believe is extremely important is special events for the community must happen. And uh, the question is at what cost? And I think the answers that I would propose to you as a council and committee is that you're going to see some salary savings. Charlie outlined those. Uh, you know, I would, would certainly think there would be enough to fund the events that you have on the menu in a typical year and hopefully expand those. But but the events are so critical to, to the community, I believe that they must be funded and we should fund them out of salary savings, if not something else. The second thing I think is really important is uh, the 115 trust to pay off the side fund. 
to free up $400,000 uh, for now and in the future is a no-brainer. Uh, I think you need to make sure you do that. So those are my two uh, thoughts that, you know, would change this budget in, this, in a way that I think is meaningful, but also uh, fiscally uh, prudent. And then uh, I also know that uh, we do need to talk about uh, how our homeless costs are being accounted for and, you know, what we're looking to spend next year in the future on that. And then we need to really talk about equipment, maintenance, and personnel, how we are spending money on equipment and uh, maintenance and things of that nature. Because I keep hearing we've invested significant dollars in our quality of life. Um, but some of the things I've heard from my staff and walking around is we have very old equipment. And we need to make sure that we have, in fact, uh, the right equipment for the safety of our employees and also to do the work that needs to be done. And then finally, uh, given the length of this meeting and the questions that have been asked by the council, I would strongly suggest that uh, we need another meeting. Uh, I would hope that, that meeting would happen before the 22nd with the entire council so you could talk about which of the three scenarios, the hard question of insourcing or outsourcing the finance department, and then giving us some sense of when you would like to schedule the CalPERS and the reserve policy discussions, and then talk a little bit about the capital improvement program. So I will end and go back to the beginning, which is special events. Um, uh, some people look at those as expenses, but uh, I believe they uh, have an ROI, which I call a return on involvement. Uh, that return on involvement is huge. Uh, uh, it seems like you're spending money, but you also get community involvement, and that breeds a, a healthy quality of life. And so I think uh, if I have anything that I really want to stress, it's let's put those back in the budget and let's not leave them out. So do we have, um, uh, Chris, do we have um, a budget for what it would cost right now if we wanted to vote to return events? Yeah, let, let, me, let me see. Is Mike, on, is Mike on the call? If he is, he can weigh in, but uh, I'll give you my city manager arithmetic. Um, uh, I believe the number was close to $150,000 for all of the events, staff time and rentals and all of that. But there's an offset of revenue that some of these events produce revenue, and my understanding was that was in a neighborhood of sixty or seventy thousand dollars. So it's uh, around a hundred thousand dollars is the net the net impact, Mayor. That's what I would guess, but I don't know specifically. Okay, so um, Charlie, how would we if we wanted to? I mean, I, I know that Councilmember Sobieski was going to work with Parks and Rec on that, so I'm just going to I'm I'm going to punt that then. Um, because if we're going to talk about that, then I would want him to weigh in on uh, wh whatever he's been able to get done between our last city council meeting and today about uh, Parks and Rec and also some scenarios, right? So we could have we could have events, we could have pared down events, right? Like we don't have to have the Cadillac of the event. We don't have to have all the rentals from past year events, but we can have jazz and blues in the park. We just won't have tables like the first year that's just an example right so the first years that we started jazz and blues in the park we didn't have tables you just brought your picnic basket and you sat on the lawn so i mean so that would cut down on um you know rentals and staff time because you wouldn't need staff to sit set up and take down the table so that's just one example so that's what i would want to look at if we're talking about uh return to events which i 100 percent uh support and which is what we were trying to do for fourth of July. Um, okay, so the 115 trust to pay off. Um, uh, Mayor, uh, Mike just walked in. I think we can provide information for the committee on the, 
the event cost and the uh, offsets. Okay, and we're talking about from now through December, or we're talking about from now through uh, the year. full year, Mayor. The, the full, full year. Full year. Yeah. The 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 total cost to the city, uh, taking in all expenditures and uh, subtracting the revenues is seventy thousand dollars. Is that primarily, Mike, is that primarily for, um, are the, is that for one, two, or three events, or is that for, like, what are the high dollar events? Let me ask you that. That's, well, that's, that's the whole, um, that's everything. Okay. So, um, jazz, we spend about 30, $35,000 on, but we get 60000 in revenue. Okay. Easter egg hunt, we spend just over $1,000, but we don't get any revenue. So. But yeah, <laughs> gotta get the money to start charging there. But we, um, yeah, again, if you take all the events, all the expenditures, including all part-time as well as full-time staff, which would mean the supervisor position that goes along with that, subtract the revenues that we get through sponsorships and donations, uh, the total cost of the city is only $70,000. What would it take to ramp up for this summer season? Like, let's say, cause obviously half of it's gone. Um, the go ahead from you. Okay. We're, we're, we're prepared to, uh, we could start jazz uh, mid-July. And uh, depending on, I'm, I'm still working on the fireworks. So, uh, or, or if we don't have fireworks, we could do something, even if it's as simple as the, uh, the afternoon picnic at Dunphy Park. Okay. Okay, well, we'll talk about fireworks later today. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, all right, thanks. Okay, so that makes it, that makes it clear to me. Um, Okay, so then I had moving on. Thank you for running into the office yeah. there. Yeah, um, I didn't have the link, so I'm link, I'm watching through the website, but I don't have the link. So old school, I got it. So yeah. <laughs> okay, so the one fifteen trust to pay off the side fund, Charlie. What's the number on that? On the one fifteen trust. Yeah, if we paid that off the side, paid off the paid off the side fund. Yeah, one point it's one point two million comes out of the trust, and we realize four hundred thousand dollars annual savings. Okay. And Charlie, can you speak to the one fifteen trust's intent? Uh, oh, because I think it's important that the public know that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, back when the uh, trust was formed, the intent was to start setting aside money to stabilize uh, the general fund rates that are being charged, as well as to become a hedge against you know, CalPERS gains and losses. Uh, you know, the since then, we were the first city in the nation to do that. 230 other cities have, are doing that now, including some very big ones. Uh, the And the policies on the use of the Section 15 trust are, are varied from everywhere from a, a, a reserve fund or a rainy day fund all the way to, um, you know, controlling the arbitrage on pension obligation bonds. But I think um, what Chris is getting to is that the intent has always been to use additional discretionary payments uh, in a strategic manner to reduce the city's annual costs. And, and, and this is exactly the kind of use uh, that was intended in a Section 115 trust fund is that we have the ability to pay off one of the amortization bases and get an immediate um, return on that and, and, and uh, immediate and permanent return on that investment, then, then I would say that's a strategic use of the Section 115 trust fund. 
Okay, and so that wouldn't that doesn't increase our deficit spending. We're just moving money out of the trust fund to pay off a side. It would reduce our deficit spending um, by using a reserve that has already been set aside for pension expenses and says, okay, now we're going to use it to actually pay off that uh, that item that is causing us to have. Uh, and, and what it will do is it will reduce the general fund deficit by $400,000. And you're paying off a pension-related item is what I understand. Absolutely. You're reducing your unfunded liability. The one thing I would want to see, I mean, I'm like not, paying off a second mortgage on your house. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree with that. The one thing, the one calculation that I want to see is when we started this side fund, I think we did projections out like 10 years or something, or maybe even 20 years, 30 years. I can't remember what, but the, I know that they were provided um, when we started. So I want to see like how taking that money out of the fund, trust fund and paying off the side fund. I mean, what the total calculation is on that, right? and the consequences of that. I'm not- Yeah, you know, so that must have occurred after um, I left because uh, yeah. when, when the fund was first set up, it was first set up purely just to have another tool in our toolbox to stabilize rates and to be a hedge against CalPERS losses. Yeah, so that was um, that was at the same time that um, uh, our former finance director, Melanie Purcell, I believe did those projections and it was, um, at the same time that we did the TOT tax and the increase the TOT tax and we increased the business license tax. So it was all part of that same package to try to address the, the growing pension um, fund issue. So, okay, so that was number two on our, our city manager. Um, I'm just, yeah. I'm just yeah. trying to write down and see yeah. if we, yeah. So- uh, Mayor, Mayor if, I, if I can conclude yeah. on that, uh, my, my, my little bit of time uh, you know, I think we really need to have a, a conversation soon about the capital improvement program because that investment in the community's infrastructure uh, needs to be understood as to what we're doing, when we're doing it, and how it's impacting neighborhoods, good, bad, or probably um, good. So I think that needs to happen very quickly as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I just got an email from Andy, so I'd be able to put something together on what the list of projects are and what the funding is uh, as soon as tomorrow afternoon. Okay, so also, so uh, Chris, your next one, homeless costs and how they're being accounted for. Um, one thing, you know, one small thing that I sent you was the the Marin County Council of Mayors and Council Members proposal to do the, um, participate in the countywide um, increase or countywide support for increased case management um, support that San Rafael and Novato have both already voted by resolution um, to support. And so Charlie, did you include that in our budget? I think it was between 40 and $50,000 for, for Sausalitos per sort of population by population spend. It's not in there now, but I could include it, yes. Uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think we all, all the city council members indicated they would support that. And, and it's important in our ability to um, access um, the increased number of housing vouchers uh, that were approved by the county, but the problem is there's a lack of case management workers, and so we have to somehow fund those. So that's part of our um, effort, um, and and it, it's going to fund a, a fund for two million dollars. So the idea is that we we pay in per capita, but um, we have a, a greater ability to access the services. So. Um, Okay, and equipment 
updates for I agree with that, Chris. I'm not sure we can get that done before our budget, though. Um, and the CIP, the increase, the new CIP, I'm not sure we can get that done. Maybe before our next, our next, if we do have a special budget meeting, that's fine. But then our city council meeting on this budget on the 22nd. So, but I do want to have that conversation like fairly quickly um, after we get this budget done. And then I have one more question, Charlie, and then we can open up for um, a public comment, which is. No matter what scenario, so if we go with the conservative, the more, I guess you could say the more conservative budget, um, that doesn't mean that we can't and will not adjust as we go forward, correct? That's correct. Okay, so even if we say we're going with the, we're going with the most cautious budget or the most cautious scenario, that doesn't mean next month or August or September we wouldn't readjust um, and and react to whatever's going on in the economy correct that's correct okay okay so at this point unless we have further questions from the finance committee meeting or further comments from our uh the city manager or our interim finance director i'm going to open it up for public comment okay nothing so i'm going to open up for public comment um i'm going to and i'm going to let's just call it two minutes if somebody needs extra time they can we can talk about it but two minutes seems to be a good amount of time Madam Mayor, it looks like we have two hands raised at this time. We'll start with Ray Withy, then Wendy Richards. Ray, you've been unmuted and asked to start your video. Yeah, the scariest moment is when you've got to start your video and you haven't checked it out. <laughs> you don't know what it's going to look like. Um, I cannot give you detailed comments. Um, I'm going to reluctantly write a memorandum on each of these topics to try and outline um, my point of view. Bottom line, what is being proposed is a deficit budget of $1.5 million, give plus or minus change. And to me, that's okay um, because of the level of reserves that you have. Um, but, and this is the big but, view this as the second of a one-year transition that COVID precipitated but which was there all along, which was the, all the trends were leading towards deficit spending. You have one point, almost $7 million of ARP money coming in. You're using $1.5 million of reserves, and you have $1.2 million of measure of funds that's being applied generally to make the fund balance work. In two years' time, all those monies are going away, including measure O, three years time for measure O. And the fact remains, you cannot, you cannot achieve a structural balance in your general fund unless you significantly reduce expenses. And that can only be done by reducing staff. That's my view. That, and I think you should accept this budget and what the $1.5 million deficit spending with the understanding you're going to use it strategically in order to actually restructure and reconstitute the whole cost structure of the enterprise so that you can have a resilient future. I have a lot more comments about pension plans. You guys are way off base in terms of using past um, projections. They are fundamentally flawed. I'll put that in a memorandum. And with Measure O, I think you are heading towards a messaging crisis 
And unless you figure out how you're going to identify what you spend measure of money on, this community will not vote for its renewal. Great, thank you. Our next speaker is Wendy Richards. Wendy, you've been unmuted and asked to share your video. Thank you very much, and, and thank you, count, uh, council members and staff. Um, as, as I've spoken previously, now is the time to reform the business license tax, period. What I have just heard makes me even more adamant, and it's absolutely shocking that we had staff that weren't even balancing the checkbook. And now we're facing a more than million dollar bill to fix that. And those people are off on retirement getting paid. And meanwhile, business owners in this community, self-employed home-based workers who fund their own retirement are paying off the top gross receipts before we even pay ourselves. And you're talking about buying equipment and we're taxed to pay for equipment before we can buy our own new computers? This has got to stop. This measure was passed by the voters surreptitiously. There was no information provided. No one knew that home-based workers were going to be subject to this tax. And it is highly discriminatory. If you count, according to Yulia's report, more than half of the people that have to file this stuff don't even report gross receipts of $200,000. And those people are paying for these tremendous expenses. So please, it's time. You've had information from Joe Caldwell for more than a year on this stuff. It's time, we need to correct these errors. And if that means that we have to cut back more tasks and more staff, so be it. And finally, please ask the city manager to give us some alternatives on our finance department. I love the work Charlie is doing. And at a million three, it we need to see some choices. Maybe it's nine months, maybe in six months. Maybe we start to bring in more junior people that can learn from Charlie's expertise. But you know, you're asking us to be paying off the top, and then you're talking about somebody having to fix errors that people got paid to make. It's got to change. Please, I urge you to please look at all the people who have written, all the voices, all the times we've spoken at EDAC, all the times we've spoken at council. The business license tax, particularly on home-based workers, has got to end. Thank you. I appreciate Thank you. We have one more speaker, Carolyn Ravel. Carolyn, you've been asked to unmute yourself and you've been asked to share your video. Good afternoon. I must say I'm extremely impressed with the diligent uh, questions that you've been asking uh, members of the council and city manager. And in, as I know, you're working very hard to weigh the different priorities in the scenarios and the certain amount of mixing and matching going on. Very encouraged to see that you've been responsive to the community uh, expression of interest in the events from the Park and Recreation Department. But I hope that you will also uh, take into consideration the community interest in preserving our green infrastructure, both as you're dealing with, with the uh, operational budget issues, uh, there is the need for contract services for some of the things that the parks currently are not doing with staff. And also when you're looking at the CIP, remember again, some of the important green infrastructures, uh, 
tree planting on Caledonia and Bridgeway being something that Sausalito Beautiful is advocating for. But I, again, I know there's are hard decisions and I'm so impressed with the diligence uh, of the questions and the analysis that you're all doing as you weigh these complicated decisions. Thank you very much. Thank you. Madam Mayor, we do not have any additional hands that are raised at this time. Okay, then in that case, um, it's going to come up back up to us for discussion and direction from the Finance Committee. So um, a couple of things off the bat for me is that um, I, I do want to have a discussion um, as part of our discussion specifically for uh, to pay off the side fund and use of the $400,000 to do that and, and the consequences of that. Um, from the pension trust fund and the, and the thought behind the pension trust fund, even, um, yeah, even given the fact that prior projections were not accurate, um, it, it, I think it would be good. It would be beneficial to look at that and see what we, what we thought was a policy decision with regard to the pension trust fund. Are we still on track for that policy um, currently, or do we want to adjust that policy uh, from the city council? Um, the uh, other thing I think we need to talk, obviously, is the measure O, how we're going to articulate that to the taxpayers as part of this budget. Um, and the MCCMC contribution to the homeless uh, case manager, case manager worker fund. Um, and Charlie, I sent you, I think, the charts on that. Um, and so then, um, and if there's a pass to be made at any future, any other additional potential savings that we have not unearthed or addressed, then, um, you know, I would like to know about that. Um, and so I think, I think what I see is with regard to our pension policy or pension, current pension status and policy going forward, I think we need to have a separate finance committee meeting on that alone maybe not as part of this budget, but certainly in the near future um, so that we can understand uh, that policy and then present that to the city council as a, as a status marker. Because I, I recall in the past that when we um, did the budget, we have had presentations on the pension and that was part of our pension um, risk was part of our, our budget analysis. But understanding that we're in the second year of a two-year budget so next next year i think would be the appropriate place to start really drilling in and talking about that um okay so then the business license tax we've we've had you know numerous um public comment on this both here and at edac i understand and so i i'm considering appointing a task force to look at that and to gather information on that um not as part of this budget but after we get this budget passed and as part of our finance committee um, efforts going forward uh, to bring forward how the business license tax is being applied um, and whether or not we need to amend that um, because the burden falls disproportionately upon uh, residents here in town. And it doesn't, in, in the overall picture, does it move the needle of, you know, significantly on revenues? So that's the question I, I'm considering um, giving to the giving to a task force we might form on that issue. So those are simply my comments. And Vice Mayor, do you have any comments or requests or 
Yeah, so um, I think three, three things. I agree with everything you've, you've just said. Um, and I wanna say uh, three buckets of information. I wanna start with what I think we need to look at moving forward. And, and much of this actually dovetails with what uh, former council member Withy mentioned. I wanna um, mention something about the pensions and then I wanna talk a little bit about the recommendation we're gonna make to the council. So I, I started out in the beginning to say that there's a framework I think we need to apply to this decision-making process as well as to those uh, moving forward. Um, number one, what are our current cash reserves? I, I asked the question, it was answered. Um, how and will they change under the budget scenarios? We have to keep looking at that. If we don't have that answer, we can't make a decision about our budget. Um, where does the money come from? So what are our revenue sources? Uh, can we get an explanation of the underlying facts that they are what we say they're going to be? Right? So we have to understand if we're looking at um, a $900,000 decline in one place, we want to know why. Uh, if we're saying that recreation uh, is going to pay for itself, we need to know why. That's the information, the level of detail I think the council has to have an understanding around um, in order to do the, the third thing, which is where does the money go? Uh, so we need reporting that shows spending by each department. And I'm mentioning this because I think it's really important. I said this at the council meeting that if we're going to allocate $180,000 to streamline permitting, I want to know who's responsible for that. And that person responsible for that is the head of community development. So it should be in the community development department budget. That way we can go back and measure efficiencies uh, and accountability around $180,000. I mean, we're talking about parks and rec and yet we're talking about 180K. Like we need to know all that information at, at one time. Um, and then once, once we understand the definitions around uh, the department who's accountable, contractor versus professional service, then we can really start understanding personnel expenses in each department and we can categorize them. We can understand the value of each as well as the cost of each. And the reason I mention this is because we just heard a speaker say, we have some structural deficiencies. We're gonna have to look at things like staffing. Well, I can't adequately do that unless I understand the prior three bullets I just mentioned. So I think they're extremely important. So I think that's a framework I, I wanna apply moving forward and try to talk a little bit about improved reporting to facilitate that. I think we're heading in the right direction. Uh, the second thing is I wholeheartedly agree with the mayor on the pensions. Um, I'm not comfortable uh, kind of including it and jamming it through on the budget. We need a separate conversation. Uh, we have some really important assumptions in that plan. It's general fund uh, future revenue, measure of sales tax, um, sausage annual salary expenses. Uh, and it's been nearly three, maybe more years since Melanie Purcell created the pension plan uh, with those assumptions. So I do think we need to revise those assumptions. Again, um, I think that's exactly what Ray was saying. Uh, we need to look at those again, bring in and uh, maybe Bartle, uh, have a separate meeting and really run through that and dig down deep into those, those risks. Um, and then the last thing I think we need to look at, obviously, is a recommendation to the council around the budget as proposed uh, by Charlie tonight. Um, I don't know that I believe that deficit spending is a, um, you know, a fait accompli. I, don't, I think there's other ways to, to handle that, but I, I think if we can get all the answers that we, uh, the questions we talked to today, I think we're headed in, a, in the right direction. Um, one outstanding measure for me is a conversation, again, around the reserve policy. We talked about it today as to whether or not it's adequate what we have, or we are comfortable with that. Um, and I'd like to get the full council weighing in on that as well. Okay, so, all right. So um, unless Charlie or Chris has something to add, I think, I think uh, we're good for today. I um, do, Mayor, I, I do have something to add. Okay, go ahead. If I can, if I can. Um, 
so you have a regular council meeting on the 22nd when you're to adopt the budget as agendized. Yes. There, uh, you took three hours roughly today, two hours today to, to wade through two questions or two council members and three questions from, or old questions from the council member in whole. Uh, are we gonna have enough time on Tuesday to deal with this with the regular agenda? I know we tried to streamline it somewhat. So again, I go back to this idea that, you know, Monday, it's Monday today, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you, know, you might wanna consider bringing the whole council together and talking about what is going on. Yeah, we talked about that on Friday and I'm not opposed to that, but I wanted us to be able to get through this finance committee meeting with Charlie with regard to the questions that were asked um, at the last city council meeting. And, um, you know, this, this, this finance committee meeting came on pretty fast. Like sometimes our finance committee meetings are later in the week. So I wanted him to be able to at least react to those um, and the additional questions that we had at the finance committee level, understanding that we have a lot more experience and exposure to this than the rest of the council did. So, um, and us trying to respond to those questions in the context of, of what we've already done. So I note that we have two city council meeting members still on this um, call, at, which is great. And they were able to benefit from the discussion that we just had. So hopefully, um, some of the things that may not have been clear to them have been made clear. I think we had all three of us on here when we started. So the process from this point going forward would be, I believe if those two council members that are looking, watching this, um, if they have questions, if they would follow up with Charlie on their questions based on this discussion or anything else, any other questions they had. Um, and then, um, and then if their, their questions are not answered or if they feel like we need to delve into this further before Tuesday, then fine, so be it. Then, then they would request that we have a city council meeting and the process is then that we would poll to see if we have a time that all the city council members would be able to get together this week for a special finance city, uh, city council meeting that would only focus on budget. Um, if not, if we, can't, if we poll and we can't find a time when all of us are available, then we would go into June 22nd and try to resolve it then. We purposefully kept that budget, that, sorry, we purposely kept that agenda light so that we can focus and spend a lot of time on this budget. But if we need an extra meeting, you know, like I said, so be it, then we'll have an extra meeting. So that's the process that we'll follow. Um, and uh, thank you, Charlie, for all of your hard work on this. I know it was tremendous effort to get us this far and I do appreciate it, so thank you. Okay, anything else, any other questions? Thank you for bringing that up. New city manager. Yeah. And thank you and, and the vice mayor for your attention and time and doing this important work, most important work that you're doing. It really is the budget is your most important policy tool. So thank you. Agree. Agree. Thank you. Okay. And thank you to the other city council members who are so invested and engaged in us too. I appreciate it. Okay. All right, then I will call it and we will adjourn. Thank you. Thanks everybody.